welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Paul, how's your week been? My week has been pretty good. How about yourself? Good, buddy. I'm feeling my first experience of work from home noise. We have our neighbors, which is testament to this mic actually, getting their crawl space cleaned, which for non-Americans is probably not that common. I'd never really known of a crawl space in Australia or England. Maybe just houses I lived in didn't have crawl spaces, but this machine must be sucking out quite a lot because it's real noisy right now and it's been going for four hours. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I, I can empathize. I have I, I've had loud noises. Uh, last time there was a storm in town. The, the the city center around the chipper, the wood chipper, branches all over up in our street, and they were like the same kind of thing. That high pitched whine running for hours and hours. You're like, oh god, make it stop. Yeah, so we'll we'll see how our producer does on editing this out. But you say you can't hear it, and there doesn't seem to be much noise on the audio file, so we should yeah. be good. Well, but I spent a large chunk of my teenage and early twenties with headphones playing, you know, rock and roll music, yeah, real rock and roll music. You know, the stuff that came out back in the seventies. So I might just be deaf. <laughs> well, based on our actual encounters, I would agree that you've definitely got a left and a right side that differ. <laughs> so um, there's been a fairly busy week, and I. Uh, you picked this link up, but it was pretty cool that the Microsoft Azure Cloud Shell image is now available on GitHub. Have you played with that? Like I've used the Cloud Shell a bit within portal.azure.com, but have you looked at this repo at all? I, I did poke around a little bit because you know I I don't use Docker and and I was threatened with termination if I brought up the the, the Kubernetes word in a work scenario <laughs> so I haven't really played with it too much but I, I'm always curious the the code spaces stuff that we've talked about in the past uses containers and and so I I, I thought oh this is cool I'm gonna go spelunk around here and see how they did it what they did so it's pretty cool. I do look forward to trying things out more as we go along. But and to be honest, the thing I was trying to do is I, I I have some I have some console apps that I run to manage our products. You know, our, our as we're running in the cloud, and I was hoping to just open the cloud shell and do them instead of having to go boot my computer. But this isn't going to help me. That's a little a little sad, but I'll figure it out eventually. But yeah, it's a cool. We'll work out a way. And then the other one um, that you'd mentioned you'd found, which I know uh, Jeremy Kelly, who's the lead PM on the SharePoint OneDrive APIs, had posted this, like the the scan guidance. And a lot of our particular partners around like e-discovery, backup recovery, anything essentially where they're thrashing our graph APIs, we tend to send them to this document. But you'd picked out an, a nice point as well around a particular API. Yeah, so this document was published just the last week of July in 2020. And as you said, it talks about best, you know, scanning things at scale. But what I noticed was that it actually talks about using the site's endpoint in graph, which when it first came out, didn't work. You could, you could, you could do a search for sites, but you couldn't actually enumerate sites. And so that is now working for i think you told me it was, it was application permissions but it, the, and it also has delta query so those are two things that i hadn't heard a big splash about and so i thought it was worth highlighting that this document covers a couple of those things to do subscriptions and or delta query on sharepoint sites which i think would be helpful to folks 
Yeah, totally. And I know, you know, a lot of our partners talk about throttling and getting hit with various scenarios and Vincent Beret um, has been doing some amazing work on our throttling page inside of the graph docs specifically um, to show all the different, for each workload, what the kind of the, the limits and boundaries are. So if you're, if you're interested in those things, we have them pretty much for every workload. I think there's some PRs sitting there for some other ones that haven't quite yet been approved yet. So, um, you know, we've been listening and getting those things in there. So good to call those out. I have to be honest. I've never seen a throttling page because I don't get throttled, so I haven't had to go look it up. So you I'm just glad he's doing a great work. Code, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not in that space, right? When I'm not trying to do a backup or a e-discovery of stuff in SharePoint, so it's not like I need That's to do true. that. So, but yeah. And then um, Jan Vidar Elvin, um, who's a Microsoft MVP, actually in enterprise mobility, um, had obviously seen the presence APIs that we have in beta and um, had built a power platform app using the presence APIs and uh, essentially using it to control lights. And I think the technology he was using with Power Automate with controlling those lights was, uh, trying to see which presence light he was using. I think it was actually directly in a power app. Um, And so there's a lot of really interesting things going on and in this space and he actually specifically calls out the notion that we have webhooks or change notifications for presence now as well and so you can go read that uh, blog post that's really detailed lots and lots of screenshots to go through and um, highlights using kind of like graph explorer to subscribe to the webhook and um, configuring the power automate so forth so it's a good like end-to-end thing if you wanted to play with presence api um, for putting that through which is nice yeah and this is the first blog post that I've seen that uses Power Automate to handle that that subscription instead of custom code. So that's kind of nice to see. Yes, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so it was a Philips Hue. Like I was trying to find it in the article, but yeah, it was a Philips Hue. And there's so many different presence lights technologies out there right now that every blogger seems to be doing a different one, which is good because that means that no matter what light you've got, there's probably a blog article out there for it. Yeah. And then a big, big, big... Um, Round of applause. Uh, the the CSOM APIs now are in uh, .NET Core. And so uh, Yannick is an Office Dev MVP. Uh, how have you found that with the .NET Core? Was that something you were waiting on with what you were doing? Or have you kind of transitioned over to Graph more more now? So, so I I found the blog post just because you know part of the PNP calls uh, they talked about that release and and I wanted to get an outside voice on that so that's kind of how I I found it uh, I am not using it just because I've transitioned away from CSOM and, and this kind of ties into a soapbox of mine that you know I have the Graph Community Library because if I am going to use CSOM, I have to establish a context using the SharePoint context. And then I have to know the object model hierarchy of things to code, which is great if I've got server-side code lying around. I totally get that. But if you're new to the environment, CSOM is a little bit of a, a different animal. And so I've moved over toward the Microsoft Graph SDK style of fluent request builders to make a call instead of the CSOM. But I totally get that there's a a huge market of folks who have code that they don't want to rewrite that have been held back. Maybe they want to use Azure Functions, which didn't support, you know, the old .NET stuff. So it's a great milestone that they finally got there. And and again, uh, there's plenty of Microsoft official docs out there. Uh, But Yannick actually talks about how to use it uh, from uh, end to end type of model. So I wanted to highlight that. So 
Yeah, and we've been working with the SharePoint team recently on like prioritizing what gaps that are in CSOM but aren't on the Graph API and therefore in Graph SDKs that um, need to be there. And so if you do have that feedback, the user voice channel on microsoftgraph.uservoice.com is a place to kind of add that additional feedback if it's not already in there and voted. Um, but yeah, that that was just useful to see, you know, more transitions there. We, we typically call those legacy APIs, but there was just a lot of pressure from the community to get those to support .NET Core. So it's good to see that finally in there, I guess. But please use the graph wherever you can, because that's kind of strategic direction. You won't be seeing much happening on the CSOM front from that, that engineering group. Exactly. And, and there is nothing new added to the library that wasn't there before. It, it just now you can target it from a, a .NET standard library instead of having to be in framework. So. Yeah. Well, apparently they got rid of all the critters, so the machine is off. So apologies if you could hear any of that <laughs> after four <laughs> hours. Uh, and then the last thing we wanted to touch on before we jump into the interview um, was the Power Platform team announcing Microsoft Dataflex. Um, and there's a few people who've been blogging about it. But do you want to talk about this? I mean, I know you've been following it a little bit from a Dataflex perspective. Yeah, and so I am no means an expert. This, this Microsoft Dataflex for us developers is going to be the common data service from the Power Platform being renamed and different licensing. But most of the most of the announcements that I've seen talk about how it's been added to Teams, and you can now you know build applications you know without without much pain and suffering so digging into that as developers tend to do what this means is that it gives me a place to store data either from the power platform or you know from uh lists or whatever not lists, but i mean um power apps and so on is common data service is a better relational database than a sharepoint list would be for example. And so the, the idea here, there's some overlap between CDS slash Dataflex and Microsoft Lists. But the big thing that we would care about as a developer is this Dataflex in Teams is now going to be included in your license and power users can then click a button, say, I want to store data and they can put it into the, 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 the Dataflex which has uh, a grow up story, right? If you want to move into the Dataflex Pro, which then brings a bunch of entity types already predefined and so on, there's there's a, a growth path there for folks who are creating apps inside of Teams and then outgrow them, right? So I, this is certainly a topic we should probably find someone to get on the show to, to correct all my mistakes, but- uh, The it, blog post is actually really good. Um, it kind of just like the things that initially I let to mind and it's run of a view LLC is the blog doesn't actually give the author of the blog post there. But the big thing I was like, well, hang on. We've announced Microsoft lists, which went kind of globally this week in all tenants. And then at the same time, Microsoft Dataflex, which was CDS, is making some strategic moves with them 365 as well. I mean, with my Microsoft Graph hat on, Microsoft list is in the graph, Dataflex isn't. Um, and there isn't, you know, right now any discussions for that to change. But yeah, the, the way they're claiming Dataflex, like the, the tagline is, delivers a built-in low-code data platform for teams and provides relational data storage, rich data types, enterprise-grade governance, and one-click solution deployment. I would almost say, minus the relational data storage, that would be how someone would talk about Microsoft lists too. Yeah. Um, Andrew Welch is the author, by the way. Oh, so, okay. Thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't put that in our notes, but yeah. So certainly a space to watch, right? Yeah. In totally. fact, he, he makes a somewhat bold statement in there saying that you, you can stop using SharePoint lists for your low code development stuff. And so 
which is which is a somewhat um, a, a, you know bold statement. He's a, he's a power platform MVP, and I get totally get that point of view. I'm sure there are mm-hmm. dozens and dozens yeah. of SharePoint folks who would argue, would disagree, <laughs> but I, I guess but that's the beauty of yeah. Well, I mean, especially like you can, yeah, you got the decisions right. You can make pros and cons of it. I think you know the the benefit of the SharePoint list is you're going to get the same security model as wherever the list is created, and then you got APIs and webhooks and everything. And so if you're really even doing that work, it's yeah. easy to carry yeah, exactly. on using it. Exactly, but maybe as a new developer, this DataFlex might be an option. Yeah, it, totally, totally. So it's good to see it moving along. It's certainly an area we'll have to keep our eye on. And and historically, CDS has been kind of ignored by folks that I interact with because it's a different licensing model off in the Power Platform. But now that it's not, it's certainly worth looking into. Yeah, SharePoint lists are free, right? Whereas, yeah. So if this is changing, then that's going to be interesting to see how that kind of moves around that world. But it definitely feels like the experience is more targeted for citizen developers than pro developers with the way that it's framed. Certainly, certainly that's the way that they're, they're pushing it for now. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't even know if there is an API to CDS. It'd be worth finding out. <laughs> I certainly know there's a connector. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> so this week we had um, Wardek on. We had a bunch of people asking to have a, a conversation with him around the Office 365 uh, CLI. And um, it was fun to get him on. I have not spoken to him for a while. And um, it's always good to catch up with him. I see him on lots of different community things engaged. And so it was nice to get him on here to talk about the CLI again. And um, if you've got other content you want, please reach out to us on the uh, Twitter handle or uh, our own personal Twitter handles. Um, because we, you know, we have got a long list of people we're interviewing at the moment, but we always like to make sure we're accommodating our audience. So um, have a good week, Paul, and um, see you all next week. Yep. So uh, on this week's show, we have Wardek Mastercars, who thinks he's only been on the show once before, but forgets that this show has been around for more than six years. Long time. With different yeah. hosts of me and Rich Desiriga, and then Richard Desiriga and Andrew Coetzee, and now with Paul and me. And definitely some um, visual differences, Wardek, for you, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, am, am, am I supposed to take it as a compliment it is a or compliment. not? Like, how do I? How do... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a more sophisticated look. So they say. <laughs> hey, you still have hair. I'm jealous. <laughs> um, so your first episode was episode 19 when we first started this. Um, wow. And you talked about the office graph. Yeah, that was an awesome piece of tech. Right. That was really cool. I recall that. Right, which is now a component of the Microsoft Graph under Insights. Yes, exactly. So it's it's not as such exposed as an API anymore, which is a shame. But yeah, like it's it's way easier to use now because you, you just get insights as opposed to having to craft these really complex queries by yourself that like are just a step away from requiring you to have PhD in it. <laughs> You should be in marketing, Wardek. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so um, we wanted to talk to you about the Office 365 CLI, which you have been on the show before about. Um, it's the Microsoft 365 CLI. Well, actually, technically, it's going to be CLI for Microsoft 365. Ah, okay. So, so, so I was like, if you really want to have the name straight, so currently it is Office, Office 365 CLI, and soon it will be renamed to CLI for Microsoft 365. And so it, this is a community-led initiative. Um, do you want to just introduce yourself quickly for those that don't know who you are? 
Sure. So I am, I think, 12-time MVP now. Uh, I've been for a long time in the SharePoint space for the last few years doing many other things like Office Graph, among other things, which I'm not doing anymore because it isn't there. Uh, doing a lot of graph things, Azure thing, but basically like overall staying on the Microsoft Cloud. For the last few years, I've been working at Rancor. We are ISV and we work primarily around helping developers to extend 365 to their needs right way. So we build software that analyzes whatever developers build and check for common issues that many people don't know about and help them basically fix, fix these, these bugs before they ship that to production. So you guys are heavily involved in the APIs, basically, you're gonna do all that, that stuff? Yeah, so very much like the one hand is the API and the other one, like knowing how applications are built, what are, what are their shapes, what are different things to um, look for, um, like very low, like we build code that analyzes code, which isn't really a common thing uh, in the world. <laughs> And so how long has this CLIA been around inside of the patterns and practices initiative that kind of is community-led? I think we're, we're going to hit in this fall three years now. Right. And what, what started it? What was the ignition to go do the CLI? So that was a really interesting time, right? A while back, like for a long, long time, Microsoft was a company that would say, if you want to do things with us, if you want to do things on the Microsoft stack, you have to work the way we dictate. And that, that was for a long time, VS and Windows. Like there was no other way around it. At some point, a few years back, things have changed, right? And then we saw more of the adoption of the open source world. We saw more of the adoption for other OSs like Linux, Mac, also the phones aspect like um, iOS and Android. So in our world, Microsoft became a company that would shift it to um, the, the way that now, now you would say, well, if you want to do things with, with us, we don't really care on which OS you are. We will give you tools that will help you, will empower you to build applications with Microsoft on whatever stack you are. And so a, f a few years back, I myself was on a Mac. And back then, um, the O365 team would release the uh, O365 C C CDN. So that, that was um, um, around three years back. And the problem then was that the only way to enable that was in PowerShell, which back then worked only on Windows. And I was on Mac. So it's like every single time I had a tenant and, and I wanted to enable it, test things, I had to boot up a VM. So basically I said, no, 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 like there has to be a better way. And I think back then there wasn't even a, a, a PowerShell core. So PowerShell worked only on Windows. Right, so I want to have a tool, something that I can use easily and I can just flip the bits, like enabling, disabling, uh, that. And from these like three commands that I build, that was the origin of that. And, and over the course of years, it's, it's like it expanded now to over 400 commands, maybe more. And so with PowerShell going to core um, being multi-platform, wh why does the CLI still exist? Like what's the main driver of that? We heard that that a lot, right? And at some point, we, we, we had the same thing. Like, would people still use CLI given that now PowerShell core is available? And frankly, it's, it's a way better shell than Bash or anything SSH. Like, all these Linux shells are basically based on strings. So whenever you get something more complex than a string, you're in a hell. Like, you're in a tough spot. Whereas in PowerShell, you have objects. So it's just way more 
convenient way to work with anything else than a string, really. But yet, what we see is that people use um, CLI a lot in PowerShell. So they don't use it as, because I am in this shell, I will use, use commandlets. Like, I want to use this tool because reasons, and yet while I am in, um, in PowerShell. So we see a lot of usage uh, on Windows where there are alternatives. We see a lot of usage in PowerShell. We see many folks build PowerShell scripts with CLI. So kind of the same thing that, 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 you, that you would see in Azure. Like in Azure, you also have commandlets and CLI, and there's a lot of usage in CLI because some people find it apparently more convenient to use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, so, so for me personally, right, I, obviously long-time Windows PowerShell user, if I need to write a script to do a bunch of things, I'm happy with the object-based nature of PowerShell, and I will use that. But if I need a one-off, look something up or set something, then I don't mind the CLI because it's less typing. Right? <laughs> um, that, that's just how it works for me, right? Yeah, cool. And so... As it's grown over time in those commandlets, what's driven those usage? Is like there's certain scenario, is it a lot of provisioning and management that commands uh, that are inside the CLI? It's both, right? So we, like if, if you would look at CLI as a whole, you would see a number of areas, right? So it's the management space. So it's basically CRUD, like get object, show me what sites I have, show me this, update that, create this. And that spans from everything from sites to teams, to groups, to users, permissions and whatnot. Then there's another area which is re re reporting. And for that, we tap um, a lot in graph, right? Because like all, all reports are already exposed in graph, right? So we, we, we tap into them, allowing user to, users to uh, pull them um, down easily. Then, then we have few commands around SPFX, right? So SPFX being the model to extend UI in 3.6.5. So we have commands that, that make it really easy for you to upgrade a project you created in the past to let's say the latest version of SPFX, right? Uh, we have few commands around power uh, apps components. So basically working with that. So overall, like we are across few different areas that span from creation and management to reporting and management of uh, things. And so it sounds like from the descriptions there, you're not just across graph APIs or on SharePoint APIs, there are other APIs you're calling into too as part of the CLI? Unfortunately not. Like if you would ask me, I'd love nothing more than just to be able to call graph. Why? Because it's consistent me, and it's me simple. Me too. Yes. <laughs> fix it. How about you and I fix it? <laughs> no, no. But I mean like, like if you look at M365 as a whole, like the way it's built, it's built by independent product groups that build their products. And these products are built in specific way. They, they expose APIs and whatnot. But at the end of the day, when we build apps on 365, I built a single app that might need to tap into my calendar, my email, and my tasks, and maybe a planner and also a team. And all these things are built by different teams, right? That don't necessarily spend majority of their, of their time aligning with each other because, other, other, other because if they did that, nothing would be built, right? So they go on and build the product, but at the end of the day, developers on 365 need to have a consistent way of talking to all these areas, right? And graph is exactly that. So graph exposes to the whole world, single API, consistent API that internally talks to all these services, but, but basically encapsulates all the intricacies 
from uh, devs, right? So as such, it will be so much, much, much easier for us building CLI, maintaining that, just to have a single endpoint, single SDK that we call, as opposed to talking for some things to graph, but for some things to Azure management servers, for something to SPO, for some, some things HESOM, because that's reality in which we currently are. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good pitch for graph as well. Thank you. There is definitely a reality of like, you know, power apps, power automate, you know, they're in different divisions of the company that aren't kind of in that redict of edict, sorry, of you must build on the graph and they, they're building on, I believe the Azure um, management management yeah. plane and, and um, you know, they have the management plane and the data plane. And so that is one definite like line down the sand for Microsoft in the sense that um, Rajesh Jha's org, which, you know, is he's the EVP of Microsoft kind of alongside uh, Scott Gu kind of owns the Azure org is that everything inside Rajesh's org is on Microsoft Graph, but that doesn't mean that the Azure stuff is. And so where these like lines blur with Power Apps and Power Automate being part of like the M365 story and heavily built into SharePoint and Teams, unfortunately the API is, is not the case. So I definitely the value of having a CLI that kind of does that bridging gap for us because we don't do it internally is actually super ideal. Um, and then you're manually building these things out, right? Correct. So the way we went about it, right? Because like, as I said, we call number of different services and APIs that have each their own shapes, payloads, and so forth and so on. And the way we went about it is that basically from day one, we acknowledge that, well, we will be doing that. And the last thing we want to do is to have five SDKs to call the different things. And then when we build tests, we need to mock against these five different ways. So as opposed to that, we said, said, you know what, like instead we will do some more work up front, meaning we will craft requests manually ourselves. So the whole payload, process the response, deal with throttling and everything else. But the benefit that we'll get over time is that each command is being tested the same way. So we have a coverage of 100% across the board. All commands are tested. And that makes it easier for us because they're all built the same way. So if somebody new builds a command, like they have tons of examples how to, to, to build a test. Whereas if there would be a change in SDK, well, guess what? Then we would need to flip all the tests. Like we don't spend to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so, so just to build on that, right? So I actually volunteered to c- contribute a command, not knowing what the heck I was doing in there. The, the code <laughs> we coverage. It, right? We shipped it. It is in production. The audit click decline on the pull request. It's like, no, 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 no. Well, I was at 99.98% because there was one line that wasn't executed because I used oh, async 08 because, you know, look at me, C-sharp dude. But anyway, so my point, though, of course, is that even though they're handcrafted responses that, you know, to do the testing and, and there's our, there are humans involved looking at these generally, making sure, obviously, the, the 100% code coverage. And so you can be confident enough that even though the, there's no graph SDK necessarily inside the CLI, yet um, there, are, there are folks who are actually looking at at what's going on here. And those folks, I know you have a, a core team wall like that, you know, we haven't had them all on the show, but can you just uh, give a shout out to the your co- your colleagues on the, the core team? Yeah, so it's Valin Horgev, Gary Trinder, Abujan Schultz, and Rabia Williams and myself. So there's five of us. So, and thanks to all those folks. That's a good spread of people across the globe too. Yeah, like that. that is our, our goal. Like we want to have like, 
from day one, we or I didn't want it to be about me. I knew that for that to become a thing, we need to have a team. So it was initially myself, but then quickly Valen uh, came on board, then uh, Gary, then Appius. And basically that way we tried to, you know, as CLI grows, we get more issues, more questions, more requests, more PRs, more, we have more docs, we want to do more videos, we want to do more, right? So we have big appetite, but for that to happen, we need to have more people. Right, so we, we try to grow uh, both the team contributors that we get and also the product like in a balanced way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The question we always get is from we as in the graph team is, you know, when the PowerShell SDK is GA, how do you see that with the CLI that is community run? I'd like your take on it and then I give my take too. What, what's your answer there? I mean, so we already see, right, that, that, as I said, that majority of our usage comes from Windows OS, which yeah. for years, there have been alternatives. Like there is the SPO command list, PNP PowerShell command list, like each service, like Teams, Flow, Power Automate, like they have command lists for PowerShell on Windows. And yet people choose to use us, right? So apparently we have something to offer that they lack in these other tools. Right, so I think that I I see it personally that there is like the cake is big enough for everybody, and I love to win on merit. So if we have something to offer that people miss in other tools, well, they will you you use us. But on the other hand, like there are there are, there are people people who swear a PowerShell, and they will they want to use native command lines. Well, perfect. If if that is their tool of choice, excellent. Yeah, I think from a graph SDK perspective, like I think the value that we provide is it's automated, it's full coverage of the whole of graph API. But I think the it's at the API level. So it's an individual API operation that we're generating the PowerShell command for. And so there are definitely scenarios where to do a scenario, you're going to be calling eight or nine of our commandlets to get your end goal done. Whereas when I looked at the CLI and read the blog post of like what you're trying to enable, the CLI is like the next altitude up, which is it's probably under the covers calling a bunch of APIs to do that in one call. So you're kind of, it's quicker to interact with and learn things. Yeah, so so if you look at, at commands that we have, um, you, you can actually do both, right? So we have commands that are basically just one-to-one mapping between API and command. And there are other things exactly as you say, that for some things like we need to check five things because somebody wants to have a user or owner of something that's something and we look up these different things in order to execute a command. So yeah, um, it is both. And I don't know that it's an apples to or apples to apples comparison there, Jeremy, because there are things that are not in the graph, as we talked about before, the power or automate platform. And so if I want to write scripts or interact with both of those things, I may not have a choice but to to dip into the CLI. And once I'm in there for one thing, it probably makes sense to stay for a bunch of the other stuff, right? So Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But but on the other hand, like Azure Active Directory and I guess the initial versions in the in the SDK were on the Azure AD graph. I know this because I submitted stuff to the to the Microsoft graph endpoint and they said no it's beta we're not going to take it yet so um so as things move obviously again the, the team is work keeping an eye on that moving it around so uh, it really does kind of help it's not necessarily just cross-platform but it's cross-service so I, that's pretty helpful absolutely 
Yeah, I definitely think like the there's a there's a world where both of them live, and I think we got to work out how they can live together as well. But um, you know, having those like the shrink wrap scenarios as opposed to a one to one mapping to operations is going to become is super valuable to people. It's even the way it's documented, right? Like it's it's around scenarios as opposed to kind of the low lying API aspect of it. So since you were on the show a year ago, obviously things are new. We've touched on a few things with the Power Automate, but is there any other highlights for you that have happened in the last year since you were on the show? So there are a few things, right? One is that we evolved Auth. Uh, while we are, we are still on ADA because MSAL doesn't support the things that we need uh, yet, I think just this week there was an alpha release of in theory everything that we need. So if all is well, soon we'll we will be able to move from from um, ADL to MSAL. But one of the things that we have enabled is to allow to use managed um, identity to use, right? Because like we see a lot of usage for CLI in automation scenarios. Oh, cool. Right, so in order to be able to tap um, into that to run CLI either in, in function uh, or in a VM in Azure or Something that that you can, you can also do since I believe almost a month now is you can use CLI directly from the Azure Cloud Shell. So that is the shell that is available already in Portal in Azure. Like you don't need to install any prerequisites. You, you don't worry about anything. Basically, you go there and you use it, right? So that is like a huge milestone. It's like in a few lines of code, you can bring down your entire cloud for a browser. Yeah, yes, you could, <laughs> you actually could. I mean, if you, would, if you would delete your root SharePoint site, like you would do a lot of harm. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in the past, you might've you, you might have done exactly the same with, with um, curl, right? So like- yeah. Or like in a physical environment where you trip over a network cable that takes out the whole yeah, data like, center. Let me plug this, let me pull <laughs> yeah. this one. Will it do anything? <laughs> you plug in your iPhone charger and the data center goes down because you've like nuked the, the power back in. Exactly. <laughs> so I guess the, these are two of the big things that we have done over over the last few or, or over the last year. Other than that, we've added more commands trying to like our appetite is really big. And with that, I wonder like, if it's a moonshot, really? Because like, we strive to get coverage of all 365, which is a lot, like it never stops, right? So every week there is a, there, there is a release, every week there's so, so something new. And like, will we ever be able to get in par with that? But at the other hand, like, it's cool to have this dream that one, way we'll, one day we'll be able to get there and you will have a single tool that allows you to manage your whole tenant and everything on it, as opposed to 25 different things you have to manage and update independently. And you want, if you want to build a script that works across them, well, then you need to authenticate five times because these things work by, by themselves. And so how are you tracking like roadmap? Like you, you take issues as feature requests and then between your PMP group, you're managing who picks up which one to go do? So we do it in two ways. Like one is that we're open to every feedback that we get from from the users, basically folks that, um, telling us like, I'd like to see, see this, or I'm missing this option here. And then we add that to our list and we allow either them to pick it up or they just create an issue. And whenever somebody is available and wants to help on that, like they are able to um, pick it up. And on the other side of the fence, like there is us uh, trying to keep an eye on, on what's new, what's going on, what's there, and basically implement that. Like think about, okay, what would be a valuable thing to have now based on usage, based on 
changes that we see based on whatever the market does and we try to to balance it out basically to have everything in there that people might need first. One thing I noticed that is different in your repositories, you have the discussions tab enabled and, and it's a, a great use. And, yes. I, and I, my idea is I've been resorting to throw in there because it's not necessarily a, an issue with the code. It's just, you know, questions like, should we do this or that? Yeah, so that, that's great Correct. to see. I want to loop back though on the cloud shell. So I have two questions for you. This is the, this is the Paul educates himself part of the podcast. So is it, updated every month automatically for me so that if I forget to do a, a NPM install on my machine, I <laughs> I don't have to worry about it. So that is that is the job of the team that, that manages the cloud shell. Like they update, they dictate the cadence of updates. And I think it's, it is once a month and they are one version behind the version that we have available. And how, how do you get the CLI in general? What's Because I'm more PowerShell-y too, but how would you get the CLI? Yeah, so so it is it is available as a package on NPM, oh, okay. NPM being the Node yeah, package yeah, yeah. manager. And so you, so you need to have installed Node and then from there you get NPM and that allows you to pull it in with all dependencies. Cool. And then uh, how did you get into the Cloud Shell? So that was an interesting thing. Like at one day on discussions tab, we got 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 a question from from a person on that team asking us like that they heard a lot that people would like to have this tool in there, and basically they reach out to us like if we we, we were interested in that. Like, of course we will. Yes, that would be awesome. <laughs> so there was like really cool message to wake up to. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I, I mean, and so uh, I'm gonna have to go find that discussion and see how, how to. How, I, I'd love to add tools, not necessarily that I have my audience everywhere, but if I'm in the cloud shell and there's tools that I want to run, is there a way for me to add them to my environment? So I think that's kind of a. I was hoping you had an answer for that, but I'm guessing you don't because you had some some magic friend who did all the work for you. But uh, <laughs> that is great, I'm, and I'm glad that the team is responsive enough on that because that that really does light up a lot of scenarios. It is cool. It is really cool. And so are there big themes of things you're looking to do in the future with it? Like are there areas that you know are like the hot areas you're going to go after next? Like the ones you've mentioned are no-brainers, but are there ones that you you kind of haven't got to that you want to start pushing? Also, one of the things that is in a way uh, forced upon us is the whole rename of O365 to M365, right? So we, 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 we want to align on that, but that is just like more than flipping a name because that's flipping the name, changing the way you run CLI, changing the strings, changing documents. So it's a whole string of changes that, that we go through. And basically the way we approach it is that we wanna give everybody a heads up advance to basically be able to adjust their work and not break them and so forth and so on. So that, 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 is, that, that by itself is for us three months work, maybe more, right? To plan all of that, to get everything in place. With regards to extending CLI further, like one of the areas we think about are the O365 management APIs. So these are the APIs that, that allow you to uh, check on the health of your tenant, your message sender messages, audit log, because like these things live in yet another tool set, right? So we want to bring that in and make it e even easier to use because we see a lot of tra tra traction around that. Um, other than that, we basically play all the time a catch-up game with everything 365 from SharePoint to Teams to Flow, PowerApps and whatnot, basically looking out on what people need the most. The, the Y word is in there too, I've noticed. Yammer. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. So a while back, we had somebody who was like, hey, I miss Yammer and I use that a lot. Like, would you like to have that? Like, 
of course, like if that's going to help you, it probably will help others too. So if you know the API, then it's so much easier for you to build it than for us trying to research that. So if you're willing to help. Yeah, that's one of our big like holdouts on the graph that we, you know, find a dollar for every time someone asks me for the game API on the graph. Um, and unfortunately their priorities are elsewhere yeah. at the moment on the product than the, the developer surface, which is a shame. And so, yeah, that's again, another benefit of this, this project yeah. existing to kind of handle that. Yeah, and then there's always the, I need to learn how to call the Yammer API so maybe I can spelunk in the repo and look at the commands and see what the APIs are exactly. and how they're used. So that's always helpful. Exactly, like like at times there was a while back when I thought like, hey, hey, well, what are the odds that uh, uh, CLI is the biggest living example of REST calls against 365 and all the different variety of calls, uh, <laughs> building payloads, like because, like, because there is no SDK, like you can, you get to see the real raw request that is being composed and built, right? So it's almost a giant li uh, list of code snippets, right? Exactly. Like, and you you can you yeah. get to see an action. And I guess, like Paul, you might have even know like how to set a breakpoint in there so that, that uh, you can basically see debug the whole thing. Like, what's exactly in there being sent over the line, right? So, well, well I don't have I don't have bugs in my code, but I'm nice to know that that's an option for me if I ever have a chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so what are you writing it all in? Is it .NET? No, it is Node. Ah, oh, you did it all in Node. Interesting. Remember like uh, back then when we, when we would start three years ago, right? So there was, there was .NET Core, but... Oh, uh, because Core didn't exist. Yeah, right. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, really the okay. most intuitive. Yeah, so how do you learn how to do Node? You, you volunteer to write a command in a Node-based system, and you throw yourself in the deep end yeah, fast. Yeah, probably, probably. Well, so... it was probably too early at that point. So all the libraries weren't there. That's cool. Well, so actually, actually, it's easier than that, right? Because like Node is what TypeScript nowadays. Yeah, right. And I mean, and and we use that left and right, and there isn't really like if you think about Node itself, like if you really wanted to build an app in Node, like there are quite some things that you need to know about I/O, about file system, about requests, responses, servers. You don't, you you are not exposed to any of that in CLI. In CLI, is just you build a class that calls, that builds a REST call to something, an API, and you deal with a response, and that is it. And right, and there's no state or anything, right? Like it's far and forget. No, 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 no. Yeah. But if you want to learn that stuff, this is a great chance to go through and Absolutely. figure out how do you do a response Absolutely. and how do you do auth, it's and it's great. Yeah, and 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 I can say yeah, from yeah. experience, there's helpful folks out there. If you are in there and you get stuck, there, you know, post a question, shoot an email, get an answer, and then you know, I'm trying to again it's a way to keep my skills current in the world and i'm sure others can benefit from that same thing so yeah totally cool well look thank you for giving us an update there Wolduck. i appreciate that and thank you for all the effort around this and everything else that you do in the community thank you i i quote only a few people as people that helped me in my beginning of my career and have continued with like good quality blogs still 15 years later um you and chris o'brien uh and actually tobias who was speaking to the other day are on that list of the three that yeah. have just been really consistent throughout the years. So thank you for doing what you do in the community. You're welcome. And um, you remain my favorite developer, buddy. <laughs> I think, Although I don't think Wes listens, so I can say that. <laughs> I'm just texting him. Our goal still when we, we would first meet, and that was, was it around the um, the wiki that you had, the SP Dev Wiki? Was That's that right, SP Dev Wiki. Funny enough, someone just emailed me about that, offering me SEO optimization for nothing but SharePoint. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's still a good 50,000 people a, a month go to Seriously? that site. Seriously? 
Yeah, even though that content has not been updated since SharePoint 2010. Well, but I mean, like, there are still people on it, right? And there are still people looking for the the things from then. And I mean... Every year I go to turn it off, I'm like, ugh, I need to keep this thing going on Azure. Yeah, exactly. Like, but I mean, if you're on, on, on prem, many of these of, of these things still apply, right? Oh, it's gold. It's just pure gold. Right. So what are the odds that we will see the uh, graph dev wiki? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> going back in time. <laughs> well, look, um, we'll definitely get you back on to talk about this, amongst other things that you're doing inside of that uh, community space. And um, if they want to follow you, where's the best place to follow you? On Twitter. Twitter. So I have Twitter handle. Um, if you want to know something about CLI, GitHub. Uh, and I guess that you'll have links on the show notes for yeah. all the handles and blocks. And... So you're Waldeck M, right? Yes, correct. Because I, I actually, I'm so used to spelling your name, I get it right. But it's one of those ones that I'm most English speakers would really struggle with spelling. It's Mastic, Mastic Cars, right? I butchered yes. it. Yes. Well, yeah. So at the end, there, there's an RZ. So Mastikash. Mastikash. Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks again and uh, enjoy the rest of your weeks, guys. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks.